We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Excited to have you here and really excited for you guys to hear from today's guest, one of my good friends, Chris Dreisbach. He's been on the show several times in the past, um, interviewed him on Felony Friday about his previous run-in with the criminal justice system. I've also done some uh, some shows with him, some roundtable type shows with other people from uh, the addiction recovery sphere um, about talking about addiction, about recovery. Uh, we did, I think, one or two during the pandemic. We did a roundtable with people from recovery and police officers as well, um, talking about his initiative that he helped to to uh, to start up called Second Chance PA. Today's show. We are digging in and talking with Chris about his success as an entrepreneur. Primarily, we're going to talk about that. He's done some incredible things, and you all are in for a treat. You're going to learn a lot from Chris today. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you that you can support the Lions of Liberty a couple different ways. You can do so by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Of course, we have a, a Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. We have a Locals, Lions of Liberty dot locals.com and we have a store with merchandise lions of liberty dot store you can check all of those out um with the uh, the patreon and the locals we have some different or actually locals we don't have different tiers i don't think patreon we definitely have different tiers and different access points where you get different things at different levels um to your uh, whatever you desire you can uh, check it out from being able to help produce a show to uh, chipping in five bucks a month to be able to access our, our bonus content and all that good stuff at the um, $10 level. Um, that's where we uh, kick in, where you can get a discount on Run Your Mouth Coffee, um, which is a project that myself, my friend Ben Pangey founded uh, to bring fresh roasted coffee to your doorstep and support uncensored speech. So check all that out. And I know we have some new listeners We've been, obviously, if you've heard this on another podcast, um, we've been uh, running some ads on some friends of ours podcasts. And uh, this is your first time here or you're, you've come back to, to hear you know, what we've changed at Lions of Liberty. Um, we're thankful for your listening and we hope you uh, hit that subscribe button and make this a regular stop on your podcast journey. We have a new show every Monday with uh, Finding Freedom, this show every Wednesday with Mean Age Daydream with Brian McWilliams. Then every Friday, we got something. Um, Meme Wars is one of our shows we run. Sometimes we'll run a, an episode of Libertarians and Liver Rooms Drinking Liquor. Um, other times, Brian has some shows that he does, uh, a show that he does called Hate Watch with Robbie the Fire Bernstein. So check those out. And uh, I'm excited to get this interview to you today. All right, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride. I'm joined here by Chris Dreisbach. And for those of you, you can see him waving there if, you, if you're watching on video here or if you're in the pride right now. But I'll do a quick intro, Chris. Chris and I have known each other since 2018. I, I met Chris on the uh, the Dale, Turn, Dale, Turns, Dale Kearns for U.S. Senate uh, run extravaganza. And uh, Chris and I, Chris actually put together a bunch of events for, uh, for Dale's campaign um, it was a addiction is not a crime tour. And, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and reminisce, but, uh, Chris, welcome back to finding freedom. Man, thank you so much, John. I don't think I was ever on finding freedom. I feel like I was on a bevy of other podcasts that you have or had. Uh, yeah, I think you were on felony Friday and we, yeah, we talked about, we, we dug into that aspect cause you, you do have that in your past, which, you know, I think that's important as we'll talk about for people to understand that, that you have that on your record with everything you're, you have accomplished and are accomplishing. So, um, 
I mean, I'm not going to list through everything you're doing now. I'll let, let you do that. So could you introduce yourself, uh, you know, to my audience? I guess the way I, I like to put it is if you meet someone on the street or at an event and they say, Chris, what do you do? Um, how do you answer that question? That's a, that's a question I get a whole lot of times. And I feel like the answer is really dependent on where I am when somebody asks that. Uh, because there's so many different things that the world has thrown at me over the last you know, 12 years of being in business, 13 years, however long it's been. Uh, I mean, I started out in 2010 where I opened my first company. It was a new life, Sober Living, where we had the first recovery community here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And, you know, that thing just took off. I mean, it exploded. And thankfully, somewhere in the early days, I had a great mentor who told me I should start purchasing real estate instead of renting it. And that would set me up for my future. And I, for some strange reason, listened to that guy. Uh, and he further gave me a loan so that I could purchase my first property to help the individuals wow. that we were serving, uh, you know, be available. And Everybody at that time in my life said, Chris, you're an idiot. Don't take it. It's an 11% interest rate. You should never pay that much for money. And I thought, you know, I didn't even think. I just said yes to the loan and we went. And then we needed another house because the individuals who were living in the house were staying sober and doing well and gaining success. And I went and bought another house for more beds and another house for more beds and another house for more beds. And at some point in the middle of that, we started a construction company. So the folks in the house had some work to do, some new skills they could learn, uh, really just kind of build them up a little bit further. And after a while, there were several other businesses kind of tossed in the middle. And eventually I gave away a new life sober living and we opened blueprints for addiction recovery, which is my, you know, my baby. It's my baby. Um, that is a multi-site state licensed mm -hmm. drug and alcohol treatment operation here in Pennsylvania. And I'm currently sitting in my office at blueprints right now talking to you. Uh, you know, from there, I don't even know the chronology anymore, but there was a, a marketing company. There's a, you know, a food truck named Doughhead Stuffed Waffles, some of the best, uh, most creative, awesome, you know, food truck food I've ever seen in my entire life. And there's a full service concessions group, which handles a, a variety of different municipal concessions, uh, institutional concessions, shared commercial kitchen catering, all sorts of different food service things. There's also a honeybee cafe. We have a cafe in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. We have a three legacies wrestling, the biggest, coolest professional wrestling company around based here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with my friend, WWE alumni, Ricardo Rodriguez. Then we've got a, a Baba Conda productions, the production company where we're filming these awesome inspirational stories you know, uh, different documentaries, docu-series that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I know I'm missing stuff. Archduke Investments, where we have uh, my little brother and another guy doing uh, affordable rentals for individuals with pasts and records. And we've got my real estate license, which is a crazy story in and of itself. And there's definitely more, but I think we'll just cut it right there. And, and you know, suffice it to say, I'm doing enough stuff to keep me moderately busy. You know that you're really stretching your limits when you have trouble listing everything you're doing. <laughs> um, I'll say I'll say one thing, Chris. Be careful banging the table because that does show up. Um, comes through. In the, I'll be able to edit it out in the podcast, but I'm not video savvy enough to edit it out of the video. So uh, understood. You know. I'll keep my hands away. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I like to gesture too. I keep my gestures. I try to keep them in the air so I don't bang the table. <laughs> Um, so I do want to dig in and talk about a lot of these businesses. I want to talk about how you manage your time, how you select where to invest your time and money and, and, uh, and all that stuff. We'll do that, you know, towards the, the second half of the show. I, I do want to just kind of talk, excuse me, a, a little bit about, about your past, but with a, a recent tie. And I saw you, I'm not on TikTok, but I saw you post this video on Instagram recently um, talking about a message you received from a woman that previously in your earlier life, when you were doing some irresponsible, um, not so nice things, you had a negative impact on. So I don't want to tell the story. It's your story. Can you please share um, really that story and 
it's such a powerful story. So I'll just let you take it from here. So I have to have to start by saying that I just joined TikTok like 11 days ago. Uh, and I really didn't want to, you know, like I was, you know, anti TikTok probably for no reason. Uh, but I did start it. And my good friend, filmmaker, Andy Shankman, who's my partner in Babaconda Productions, uh, you know, he started making these crazy, impressive videos and they just needed to find the world. So TikTok seems to be a good place to do that because for mm-hmm. some reason I have, you know, 25,000 followers in 11 days. And, you know, wow. the videos that he's pumping out are powerful. They are impressive. And I don't even like to say I'm impressive on any day of the week, but Andy makes me look impressive. So <laughs> the story, uh, you know, in, in my early days, I, I struggled with substance use disorder, addiction, and it led me to a lot of places. One of those places was burglarizing houses. Unfortunately, uh, you know, that was a part of my past and my history. I happened to get arrested for burglary uh, in the literally the worst possible way. It wasn't even like a good burglary story. It wasn't like I'm impressive and tough. Uh, I literally walked into my friend's house and I grabbed a hypodermic needle and I walked out. Something I'd done several times before to know you know, great struggle because in 2005 or 2006, whatever year that was, you couldn't get a needle at a a pharmacy like you can now. Back in the day, we Mm -hmm. had to find hypodermic instruments uh, through fully illegal means, which was find a diabetic and give them $5 or, uh, you know, find a dirty needle in the, in the alley or the gutter or whatever it might've been. So this particular day, I think it might've been March 30th, 2006, if I had a guess, Uh, I walked into that house and that girl's mom was home because she had like an oral surgery or something going on that she wasn't at work. So that day when I walked into her house, it was one of those bi-level homes. So you can walk in the basement and then there's Mm -hmm. somebody upstairs. And I walked in, I grabbed that needle and I walked out and I probably scared the living crap out of that poor woman that day. Uh, And being in a real small town called Mukunji, the Mukunji police were there very, very, very rapidly. And they whisked me away to Lehigh County Prison. That's my burglary story. You know, it's it's not very impressive to those who are burglars or those who have been in jail. Uh, it was pretty pathetic that I got caught that way. But I kind of left and I just hit the table again. But uh, I left. <laughs> I left that day, you know, with the police and I went to jail. And being a poor kid with no knowledge, being, you know, 18, 19 years old, I really had no clue about the criminal justice system. So I said, yeah, I went in, I grabbed something and I left. And, you know, that was sufficient legally for me to be a burglar because there was a person home and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. So, you know, I went through that process. I'm a felon for the rest of my life. And, you know, I didn't really give it too much more thought uh, other than, you know, the millions of times I've had to talk about it. Uh, Never thinking that I'd hear from Brenda, the woman who was home that day again, ever. I'm pretty sure there's a court order out there saying I should never hear from her again. Uh, but we were on our way to film a docu-series, actually, with Spike Cohen, uh, your, your good pal. And we were on our way to Myrtle Beach from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And we were on a painful layover at uh, Reagan National Airport, you know, RIP Ronald Reagan. And we're at Reagan National Airport, and I get a Facebook message from Brenda the sweet woman that I, you know, terrorized accidentally that day. And I, man, it was just such an emotional moment because she sent me that message because she had seen the videos we were putting out and she was proud to know me. I mean, that's the level of power that recovery can have because that woman who I thought I would never talk to again because I terrorized her, you know, I just thought I'd never hear from her again. And I'm sitting there at that airport with my production crew and my friends and and just people that I love. And I hear this message. I see this message. And uh, we've been in touch ever since. She's so excited to see what I've been able to do over the course of a bunch of years. And, man, there's just so much, so much power uh, in getting treatment and getting help and being able to live a life that you deserve to live. That's that's so incredible. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious from, from your standpoint, Chris, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I mean, you, you, you know, all you've accomplished. I mean, you know, all the lives that you've touched. I'm curious. I mean, 
do, do you reflect on this and really step back and just take, take account for like the impact that, that you've had? Do you ever do that? Sometimes. I mean, that we were headed down to Myrtle Beach on that trip. And when I got there, we had a whole night of filming and no seconds to really reflect. Uh, but thankfully, Andy, being a genius filmmaker that he was, started asking me questions about it while we were on the beach. Mm-hmm. filming for other reasons. And at that moment, it kind of struck me that, you know, just everything in life is so beautiful. I mean, if you're aware enough, if you're self-aware enough to just capture those moments and take them to heart, I mean, there's there's not much cooler than that. I was able to inspire a woman I once terrorized. And at that moment on the beach, mm. I, I felt that. I felt the power of that moment. And that is again on that video on TikTok and Instagram and you know all over the place that has I don't even know like three hundred thousand views. <laughs> it's just silly to me to think about. Such such a cool story. <clears throat> and, and I mean, and uh, when you like, you've done so many different things. I mean, from re- really, and it seems like your focus at the beginning, right, was on helping other people. You were in recovery. You wanted to help other people in recovery, and you've continued that right with like these businesses you're starting the employees at your businesses are, are most of them or all of them in, in recovery. Many of them. I mean, I don't, I don't discriminate. I love people who didn't have to struggle to, you know, I love people who struggled differently. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my employees, a lot of my business partners, a lot of the people that I try and help elevate are in recovery, but you know, everybody struggles with something. Everybody's kind of felt, uh, certain feelings and being downtrodden and outcast and things of that nature. So, you know, those feelings kind of apply to folks who do struggle with substance use disorder and those feelings apply to a lot of normal people too. If mm-hmm. you will. So, you know, I'm just kind of equal opportunity helping folks, you know, feel better, be better. Really. I'm just trying to exist. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you're doing a doing a good job and a unique job of it. I mean, I think it's cool. Like a lot of the the businesses you start are like ones you wouldn't think a serial entrepreneur would start. Um, you have the, the the trading card business, right? You have this. Forgot about. I, 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 I want to talk about the the, the wrestling. Um, is it a, a a league that you founded or, or events? Um, because this, this is so unique and it's interesting. I don't know how, maybe you can tell the story behind this or, or the backstory, but you've, you've kind of had a connection into wrestling. I mean, I remember back on the Dale Kearns trail, you brought in Sean Waltman, AKA the one, two, three kid, AKA X-Pac, who's just an awesome dude. And, uh, and <laughs> crazy. I mean, just crazy times that I'm, I'm, I'm meeting X-Pac who I watched on TV, you know, growing up and, uh, I'm having lunch with him at a, a burger place in Pittsburgh and he's just like a totally relaxed, laid back guy. But um, so, wh- where did you get this like, like foot in the door with the uh, the wrestling community? Well, I mean, I have been a lifelong wrestling fan. Uh, you know, I'll happily and openly admit that. And when I was a kid, I wanted nothing more than to become a professional wrestler. So I went and trained at a school in Allentown, which is kind of a big wrestling hub where I grew up. And uh, you know, I I never really made it anywhere. I found cocaine and heroin to be a little bit more interesting than professional wrestling at some point and it fell by the wayside and when i entered recovery in 2007 i didn't really give it too many other thoughts until maybe 2011 or so uh, a local lancaster championship wrestling was running down here and i kind of got back my foot in the door with those guys and got involved in those shows until they shut down in 2015 Mm -hmm. or 2016 I've always loved wrestling, still do to this very day. And, uh, you know, I met X-Pac, Sean, when we went and did the, the town hall tour, or the, the addiction is not a crime tour, if you will. And we connected right away because Sean's a, a person in recovery. He's got a great heart. He's, he's just incredible. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no two ways about that. Uh, through Sean, I then got to meet uh, Bob, who works for the WWE's wellness program, which is the craziest thing ever because the WWE will pay for treatment for their stars for the rest of their lives. If they need it, whether they're working for the company or not, whether they work there for one day or not, they're helping people. And it's unbelievable. 
So he linked. I'm just going to pause Wellness on that because yeah. that, that's incredibly unique, man. Because I know even like the NFL doesn't do anything like that. Even to get like yeah. medical care in the NFL for you know a period of time after you're done playing, I'm pretty sure you have to play for like three years before you'll get that. So that's yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean they have easily the most progressive, pretty incredible wellness program. And so I met Bob, the individual who kind of runs that and developed a friendship with him. And, you know, what happened one night was I never go on Twitter ever. And uh, I went on Twitter randomly. And after we did our, our, uh, what the heck do you call it? Pandemic town hall or virtual town hall. I, I forgot to talk about those. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different things, but, uh, after we did that, this guy, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez or Jesus Rodriguez, um, was a former WWE guy and he followed blueprints, which is the only Twitter account that I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought, Oh, that's cool. You know, I'd never really heard of the guy, but you know, WWE clearly is into recovery like him, uh, that day, you know, I was probably like on the toilet at one o'clock in the morning or who even knows why I looked at Twitter. Uh, but I see, you know, a tweet from this guy is like, I don't remember the exact verbiage, so forgive me, but it was like, hey, I fell, you know, I'm struggling, I need help. Uh, So I reached out via Twitter message and I said, hey, man, I know, I don't know you, you don't know me. I don't remember. You you reached out right then at at one o'clock in the morning, just, yeah. At that moment, because he was, he was in need of help. And I didn't think he'd ever answer anything, but a couple seconds later, he was like, yeah, man, I'm in this hospital in, in San Antonio and I don't know how I got here. You know, I was drunk and so on and so forth. We had a nice long chat. But basically, I said, man, we'll do whatever I can for you. Come on up here. We'll scholarship you, we'll get you into treatment and get your life back on track. You know, kind of like I would for, for most anybody who needed help. And it really set in course this train of circumstances that uh, would bring him up here for treatment, and, you know, to get him the help that he needed. And he decided to stick around and. You know, we developed a bond and a friendship through recovery. And, you know, we started Three Legacies Wrestling, which is his, his wrestling company here in Lancaster County. I'm just a, you know, a small part of it. That's, that is so awesome. And so you guys had an event recently, right? Yeah, on Saturday night, just two days ago. How did that go? And like, how, I know you, you said you're his know it's it's his thing but like i know that you're involved in promoting it and stuff so like how did it turn out how to come together i'll tell you what we had a completely sold out event standing room only community members in lancaster county came out strong on saturday night i mean it was unbelievable it was so electric uh no other wrestling company in this area has come close to a sellout in years and years and years so to be able to see Jesus, you know, in his you know, 11 months of recovery build up to that level is something that just swells my heart. And it was so mm. hard to not cry watching the beauty that Saturday night was. How, how important, you know, do you think something like that is for somebody in recovery to have, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a wrestling league, but to have something that they can pour themselves into. How important is that? I'll often talk about finding your purpose, you know, because if you live a life without purpose, what's the point? You know, where are you going? What are you doing? So a lot of times when I'm working with somebody new in recovery or even kind of long in recovery, who's feeling Mm -hmm. a little bit slow or a little bit backed up, or maybe like they might backslide. It's really about finding purpose, kind of harnessing your passions and figuring out what it is that drives you to exist. Because if you find a life of purpose, there's really no reason to return to the way I used to be because I used mm-hmm. to use heroin and other drugs to kind of quell the, the nightmare that was the internal life of Chris Dreisbach. And once I kind of launched out on this path of recovery, I really had no reason to go back to it. No even remote thought of going back to it because life is so big and so beautiful. And there are so many people that need help and so many people that can just benefit from you and your light and your vision. I mean, helping people find their passion is my number one goal. That, that is so awesome. And <clears throat> I mean, I think that applies to, 
to everybody, really find, finding that purpose. I, I mean, I, I know from my own perspective, when I feel like, you know, I'm kind of feeling lost or like not, not knowing, you know, if I'm doing the right thing, you know, if you kind of take account for what you're putting your time into, are you making progress, like actual forward progress in, in, in what you're doing? Um, I think a lot of the times the reason why people like maybe in like a, a corporate job per se or something like that doesn't have to be a corporate job. It could be, it could be any sort of job, a construction job or, or whatever, where you don't see the bigger picture of what you're putting your time into. You don't see it moving something forward or you don't see it moving your personal life forward in a way. Um, it's just some sort of goal. I feel like that is almost like the secret to life, putting that together. I would agree. I would agree entirely because, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of people too. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I took me a long time to come to the fact that not everybody thinks like I do. And I can't expect everybody to go yeah. completely nuts and work 80 hours a day and, you know, do all these things. So I've really come to terms over the last five or six years that there's just different types of people. And the person who prefers security you know, over the uncertainty of entrepreneurship, there's nothing wrong with that person. It's a beautiful thing. As long as they're mm-hmm. happy and they're living well, I love that. But for the crazy, adventurous, nut job like me, you know, <laughs> that's where I'm at. I love the uncertainty. I love not knowing where the next thing's coming from. I love creating things out of thin air and watching other people create their dreams out of thin air. So those are the things that drive me and push me forward. So, so speaking to that crazy nut job, those are your words, not mine. Um, <laughs> serial entrepreneurship. I mean, you're, you're juggling a hundred different things. Um, probably difficult to, to plan a day and, and stick to that plan. Different things coming up. What, what, I mean, what types of things do you use? What types of tools do you use to be able to manage this much, this much stuff? I mean, well, John, I have it right here. <laughs> I have this beautiful eight-year-old phone. <laughs> there you go. And what I'll do is, this is a very simple trick if you're kind of new to being an entrepreneur or if your brain thinks similarly to the way mine does, is I use this ancient calendar that you probably can't see. <laughs> but it's a simple Google calendar. But if yeah. you could look at it, it's just completely jam-packed with stuff. And then if it goes in this calendar, that's where I appear. And if it's not in this calendar, I forget about it for the most part because there's enough going on up here that I can't keep track of. If it's all in here, I don't forget. So that is the most basic tool that I use to keep track of the madness of my day. And honestly, I just focus on what's coming up next and and try and be 100% present in everything that I'm doing. Because if I'm focused on the the 8 o'clock Zoom call I have after this, I'm not here and I'm not present with you. And then you're not getting what you deserve from me, which is my time and attention. And that that's tough to do. Um, I, I can attest to that. You know, as, as I, I just right, right, right before this podcast, I, I had, I had work calls for, for my corporate job. And during those calls, you know, I kind of had to, you know, make sure I wasn't drifting off and, and thinking about this podcast. Cause I've been excited you know, to have the chance to talk to you. So th- that's, that's easier said than done. I think. And I mean, a a lot of entrepreneurs, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's not all entrepreneurs definitely don't agree with this because there are people like yourself, many of them who put time into many different things, but it's been said that I don't know if it's the easiest path, but a, a path of a common path of, of entrepreneurs is to become obsessed with, with one thing and get really good at that. And, you know, make sure that that's profitable and then you can move on to something else. Personally, my mind has never been able to like work that way. Like I I can't just have one thing. I have to have multiple things. Um, I just wanted to get your input on that. Are are you kind of built in a way where just having one thing just it it wouldn't be enough? You kind of have to have multiple things on your plate. I mean, I've always even when I was using heroin, I would always have at least two or three jobs working at the same time because I needed to find $10 and, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to wait tables for very long because they'd fire me because they'd realize I was, you know, a strung out junkie. And so I had to have two or three of those running at all times. So it may or may not have set me up uh, 
in the position to be able to juggle multiple things, including my full-time job, which was finding heroin. Um, I think, honestly, in 2010, had you asked me, I would have told you I was obsessed with helping people in you know this recovery house operation that I had. If you asked me in 2013 when we started the construction company, I probably would have told you a totally different thing. If you asked me in 2016, I would have told you I was a thousand percent obsessed with and committed to building blueprints and going on with that. Truthfully, you just kind of grow and Mm -hmm. find what works for you because there's so many different avenues that you can take. If your passion is singular in the sense where, you know, I love making ice cream, so I'm going to be obsessed with making the best ice cream on earth. And that's it. That's my passion. That's what makes me float. And I think my passion has grown into something that is kind of helping other people achieve their entrepreneurial dreams. So it allows me to jump into a bevy of different industries without having to fully obsess myself with each individual industry. So I don't know if that made any sense, but everybody is so different and there's really no blanket that you can toss over anything and just say, this will cover every person everywhere. Mm -hmm. But if you grow and find what you love and follow your passion, you can't go wrong. So, couple more business questions for you. Um, when do you know or how do you evaluate when you need to either, you know, walk away from a, uh, you know, a business or either step back maybe and let someone else um, take the lead? Well, a lot of times, uh, personally, at the very least, I try not to do stuff I know I'm not good at. Uh, I'll, you know, for example, in Blueprints, I have two of the absolute best executive level people on earth. And I'll, I'll call them out right now because, you know, they, I love them and they love me. So I think I can pull this off. Uh, ben and Jesse are my two executives. And Ben is an absolute wizard. He is the smartest human I've ever met in my entire life. Hands down. I've never met a smarter person. Never will meet a smarter person mm-hmm. than Ben. He's tremendous but his attention span is very short and he gets distracted and he moves on to some other things, right? You know, most genius guy on earth but has a tough time with, you know, following through sometimes. Jesse may be slightly opposite. You know, he doesn't claim to be a genius. He's just a good, hardworking, honest, awesome guy, but he is an organizational genius. So he will Mm -hmm. literally manage an entire 130 person company without a sweat. I mean, he makes it look easy. But if you ask him to write you a paragraph about something, you know, he's not going to be there. It's not going to be able to do very well. So those two guys working together, they make like a super ultra mega human. And if you add me in there, I add probably something. But, you know. You get a, a super a super that, mega yeah. human with uh, with long hair then when they add you in. Yes. Yes, you have a really funny looking super ultra mega human. But yeah, I forgot where I was even going with that. Yeah, no, I mean, so you you have to, you have to find, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is you're finding people, not only are you self aware and understanding where, where you have maybe holes or areas where you're not, you know, great at, but you then find those individuals, those people um, on your team, or maybe you hire them who can fill those skill sets, right? Yeah, so effectively, if you need a policy and procedure written or a, a license to be created or you know, an impressive website to be built or a you know, novel quality level writing done, that's what Ben jumps into, and he is incredible at it. Jesse, organizationally, if you need something like that done, he's on fire with it. I'm okay at both of those things, but those guys are darn near perfect mm-hmm. at them. So I let them handle the things that they're perfect at while I handle the things that I'm acceptably decent at. And similarly in all the other companies, you know, everybody has their own strengths and their own skill sets. And I let them be as good as they can be while I attempt to be as good as I can be. And when everybody's working together for a common goal, I mean, you're always going to come out on top. I, I don't see it fail very often. Yeah. And you've, you're, you have been involved with, you know, multiple, um, sounds like, you know, I don't know the legal structures you're in. It doesn't really matter, but partnership type, uh, you know, agreements and uh, 
where you have either one or two or three people involved in, in a business or, or more than that. What, what, what are some, uh, you know, secrets or, or tips for managing those types of relationships? Because th- that can get pretty complicated. It gets extremely complicated because, again, everybody's different. Everybody's struggling with their own personal things. Everybody's working on their own. Uh, you know, just everybody is so different. And a whole lot of partnerships really comes down to compromise and communication. Those two C's are totally essential because if you're not able to compromise and you think you know the only way, you're destined for failure. Guaranteed, destined for it. Uh, communication, obviously, if your partners don't know what you're thinking, how are they supposed to make decisions? How are they supposed to act accordingly? So communication and compromise are the two biggest things in partnerships that I would like to always talk about when I Mm -hmm. meet with my new partners or, you know, if I'm interviewing a new business or if somebody brings an idea to me, we really have to to talk about how we're going to communicate. And if you think the only way is your way, I mean, I can't really move forward with those things. So, so you talked a little bit there about evaluating new businesses and you're involved in, like we talked about many different businesses from, you know, from food trucks to, to pro wrestling. So in, in, in real estate and, and everything else. So when someone brings a, an idea to you, they bring a business plan to you, what, what's sort of your, your, your process? Are, are, are there certain things that certain industries that you do? want to get involved in um, or you know what, what's your process for evaluating that I've got a really good story for you and it's another one that I didn't mention earlier because my brain is very small uh, <laughs> and mostly fried at all times uh, but I had three people uh, whose recovery journeys I've been a part of over the last decade and you know they kind of would struggle and do well and then do well and do bad and do well and do bad and you know so on and so forth but these three individuals that I'm about to talk about all have a, a serious passion for art, creating art, hmm. you know, selling art, and doing all this stuff. And I have zero passion for art, not even a little tiny bit. I mean, I can't draw a stick figure. It's, it's pathetic. I'm, but I'm with you there. I can't either. Yes. These guys came to me with this idea to make a, an art collective, an all-inclusive open art collective for struggling artists, for kind of disenfranchised artists. And I was so sold from the second I heard this plan because I was sold on the people that Hmm. were bringing it to me. And I think that's the biggest part of evaluating a business is are the people passionate? Are the people committed? Are the people malleable and flexible enough to try different things and not feel like they have all the answers? And then obviously... Uh, we we kind of launch into different homework. We set up uh, effectively what a normal business plan would look like, but we break it down in pieces to make sure the concept is viable, make sure it's solving some kind of problem, uh, you know, just kind of make sure it's going to work. Um, mm-hmm. We really have to look into our competitors and see who's already doing it, see if we should really fight for that same dollar. Uh, there's a whole lot of different things. And again, depending on the industry that we have to look at. But I think the biggest things are the people, passion, and are they willing to sacrifice to make their dreams work? That's a great point. I mean, it really does come down to the people. And I I love the example that you gave. And I forgot about that. I did see you post that on Instagram the other day. You just had uh, an event for, was that the opening of the collective or... That was the grand opening of this art collective. And again, I'm so new to the art world and Like everybody in that community has embraced me with open arms and I'm just a big, goofy, non-artistic guy. And uh, we had this grand opening and I thought, oh, you know, we'll go down for a couple hours. There might be like a hundred people through. We had thousands of people walking through this arc. You could not even move. You couldn't breathe. It was, man, it was unbelievable. Words can't really describe just how cool it is to watch people who were previously down and out step up and build something out of thin air and then watch the community jump behind it. I mean, it was an unbelievable weekend because that was the night before the wrestling event. And I got to watch four of the people that I love the most in this world succeed. And, oh man. I mean, that's, that's a high you can't get rid of right there. That's, that's incredible, man. 
That, that is absolutely incredible. Um, so there's more, there's more to talk about. We're, we're not done yet. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe the last one, or maybe it's not the last thing, but the next thing I want to talk about, which is what I'm really looking forward to, because I've, I've been seeing you post little pieces of this on, on Instagram, and I'm sure you're posting it on TikTok too, but this new docu-series, and you, you mentioned that there's a, uh, you did have a conversation with, with Spike Cohen. I think, I think he's going to be um, a part of that in some capacity, one of the episodes maybe. Um, talk a little bit about what the what the plan for that is and um, when people can expect it to be released for consumption. Yeah, let me uh, let me just start with the backstory on this one too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in March of 2022, I think it was 2022. Forgive me if I have these dates wrong. Uh, a lot happens. Uh, I did a uh, police training with the Lidditz Police, and I know you know about. Uh, Second Chance PA and the criminal mm-hmm. justice reform program that we have going here. Uh, it was a police training with Chief Ed Cunningham from the Elizabethtown Police and my other partner, Ben McCoy, the genius that was previously mentioned. And uh, we do this police training for law enforcement so that they, uh, you know, have an understanding of the brain science of addiction and know what we're up against. And we talked about a continuum of care and how to help individuals go from a hopeless life to a life of purpose. And then we talk a little bit about my life and what can happen if an individual gets the treatment they need. So that particular night, uh, Ed had asked a friend, Andy, to come film. So Andy and his wife, Pam, came and filmed this thing. And they were really friendly, nice people. So we exchanged business cards and, you know, said, hey, stay in touch. And eventually, uh, once Jesus moved up here, uh, we had talked about doing a documentary, documenting his recovery journey and, you know, seeing how that would go. And when I thought back to, like, who would lead this documentary, I thought about Andy because he was telling me about his passion for filmmaking and how he just loves to do this stuff. Uh, so I reached out to Andy, having not seen him in several months or many months or who even knows how long it was. Um, and I said, hey, what do you think about this crazy idea? You want to help me do this documentary on Jesus? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And so Babaconda Productions was basically born right there because Andy, who has such a passion for filmmaking, dove right into this thing. He didn't ask questions about if we were going to get paid, how we were going to get. He said, let's do it. Let's bring this thing to the people because it's a great story. And I started to, as we were filming this documentary, I saw Andy's passion and I saw how much he loves filmmaking. So we had to turn it into a company. And as we were flying to Los Angeles to go meet Jesus's mom and see where he grew up, because he's from L.A., uh, Andy and I were, you know, trapped on a, a bevy of planes, a variety of planes and a bunch of hotels. And we just started spitballing, like, what else would be interesting to film? You know, like, look at all these people at this airport. You know, that person probably has a really cool story. And this person over here probably has a nice story. And that person over there probably has something interesting. And we ended up thinking like, what the heck are we doing? Let's talk about inspirational recovery stories because that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's where I Mm -hmm. am. That's where my passion lies. I love seeing people recover and blow their lives up in the best ways possible. So we reached out to my friend, Brandon Novak, who you may remember from uh, Jackass fame and uh, Viva La Bam and a bunch of those other Uh, you know, crazy shows that he used to do. He's a professional skateboarder, but he's also one of the most kind-hearted, just awesome individuals in recovery that I've ever gotten to meet. So we got to go down to Philadelphia and do an interview with him for episode one of Repurposed, which is the name of the docu-series. So we're effectively grabbing folks who used to live without purpose, and we're going to talk about them being repurposed and living. That's a great name, man. Incredible name. Yeah, I thought so too. And you know, my girlfriend, Jamie, picked that name. I'll never take credit for naming anything because I'm bad at naming things. Uh, so, but no, I mean, it's great. We got to go see Brandon for episode one. And then we flew down to Myrtle Beach uh, to meet with Spike Cohen, you know, the 2020 Libertarian vice presidential candidate who also happens to be a person in recovery who I connected with immediately as soon as we started talking. And he has a super different story than Brandon but no less inspirational and no less incredible. Then we flew over to Nashville, Tennessee, where we met with Mike Miz, not the WWE Mike Miz, an artist, a musical artist in Nashville that I actually met in 2007 when I first got sober. 
And uh, a couple years ago, he moved to Nashville and signed a recording contract. And he's just killing it over there, making wow. some of the best music around. Uh, I cannot wait to be able to bring you that episode because he plays uh, some really cool you know, concerts. We got to film him in the studio working with a Grammy award-winning producer. Uh, I mean, there's just some incredible stuff. And we weren't even done on that trip because we went up to Charleston, West Virginia. Oh, yeah. I know Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston, West Virginia. (laughs) It's a beautiful place, and the people are so friendly. Uh, But we went up to Charleston to meet with Paul Fletcher, who you may remember from the 2018 tour, the former Philadelphia Phillies pitcher, Paul Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. I do remember him. Tremendous recovery story. I know you remember hearing it several times, but the guy's got Mm -hmm. heart and passion and you know, he's lived such an interesting life. So that's going to be our four-part docu-series called Repurpose, hopefully streaming on Amazon in mid-2023 at some point. But feel free to follow me on all the social medias and everything. Uh, stay in touch on that because it's going to be exciting. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that, that could uh, that could very much blow up. I, I, could, I could see that really, really blowing up. So definitely keep an eye on that. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So you, you mentioned it a little bit there in passing and um, previous your previous appearances on this show, we talked about a more in-depth second chance PA, but I just wanted to get an update on that. And for those listening to this who have never heard of it, um, it is a really cool, um, I don't know what you would call it, initiative, collaboration um, that, that you have with, uh, with law enforcement and the recovery community. So could you kind of share just r- r- real quickly, what is it and you know, what, what's happening now with Second Chance PA? Yeah, so Second Chance PA is an initiative that we at Blueprints started in conjunction with two small police departments here in Lancaster County in 2018. Uh, it's a pre-arrest diversion program effectively where we send certified recovery specialists on scene with law enforcement at the individual's moment of crisis The officer then has the opportunity uh, to forego charging the person if they agree to enter treatment right away. Then from there, the certified recovery specialist will walk with the individual through their process of recovery, all the while keeping the officer informed with their permission. Mm. And the officer then has the opportunity to stay involved in their recovery process and send awesome little messages like, hey, you know, I see you're doing good, man. Keep it up. You know, and as a person who's only ever been questionably treated by law enforcement or even borderline abused by law enforcement, there's nothing more inspiring than to see the light in somebody's eyes when they recognize that their former enemy is actually their friend and invested in their health process. So, I I, I, I think you, yeah, you might have more to say there. I just want to jump in. Um, Just from, from the perspective of, you know, someone like myself, being in the libertarian community and you, you know, you see, obviously, you know, there's a lot of police abuse that happens, a lot of, a lot of not good things and probably rightfully. So there is a perspective um, from libertarian against the cops, you know, really, really blaming cops for a lot of this, which, you know, I'm not saying cops are, are not at fault, but I think it's so important the way that this collaboration, this initiative is set up, that it really brings that community aspect back into policing. You know, instead of police looking at, um, you know, someone that they, you know, that they run across on the street, who's, you know, really at the worst point in their life, um, instead of just looking at them as just a number and throwing them in prison, there's a relationship that, that, that has a potential to be formed. And then an investment where that police officer now is, you know, has the capability to, to check in. And if, I mean, if this took off across the country, I think this is one of the answers to, you know, what we're dealing with, with the uh, opioid epidemic. Um, And I'm curious what, what kind of, you know, curiosity or inquiries you get from, or do you get any from, uh, you know, police forces outside of Pennsylvania kind of wanting to pick your brain on second chance PA? Well, we get, we get an unbelievable number of people looking to kick tires and, and think about the idea of diversion and, you know, trying to figure out what lightning in a bottle we caught that's made us so successful. And I think a lot of it just comes down to heart. 
and caring and hiring the right people and making sure that the responders that go out with law enforcement have the tools and the ability to connect with an individual and get them the help that they need at that moment of crisis, which could be a rather stressful situation. I mean, I've responded to the side of highways when there's cars whipping by at a hundred and you know, whatever miles an hour. And I'm trying to stay focused with this individual in crisis. It's not easy. Um, so I think a lot of that is just, is so multifold second chance PA because there's mm -hmm. numerous parts where we break down the stigma that exists between individuals struggling with addiction and law enforcement, because I, for the longest time in my life, thought the police were my mortal enemy, period, point blank. If you wore a badge, I hated you. That's it. And the reality of the situation is much like every other industry, policing has good people and policing has really bad people. The really bad people are the ones we hear about most often, and mm -hmm. they do exist. I will be the first to admit it. There are many law enforcement officers that I would not personally endorse, but conversely, there are many, many law enforcement officers that are in it for the right reason that want to impact their community and positively help the lives of people that they serve. So just like I could say, not all podcast hosts are the greatest people in the world. I can fully endorse John Odermatt as a podcast host because I know he's a great person. So, you know, there's good and bad with everything. And I think if you feed the negative, you get the negative. And if you feed the positive, you get the positive results. Yeah. And and I think one thing that you've done and really the the collaboration has done with Second Chance PA is, you know, instead of as libertarians, often we get frustrated and we look at things like, well, if we just totally get rid of this system, we get rid of police and we bring in, you know, private policing and, you know, we make drugs legal and make it be able to be so suggested and all of these things that really just are not going to happen. Instead of just looking at what do we have right now? with the current situation, the current structure of society, of the community we live in, how, how can we function better where we are right now? And I think this, this is just a highlight of how you do that. And I, I just hope that others, you know, see this and use it as a, uh, a template to build. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see the, the fun, you know, aluminum foil hat wearing ideas like we can just get rid of the whole government and everything's going to be fine and we get rid of the police and everything's going to be fine but like i totally love the idea that if my mom and dad are struggling that there's going to be a safety net for them you know i don't mind paying 40 percent of my income to the federal government so we can make that happen that was sarcasm i hate paying 40 percent of my income to the federal government because we're never going to see but it I, exactly but i do love the idea that safety nets exist for people because I know the people that I love, I would never want to see struggle. I would never want to see them harmed or hurt in any way, shape or form. And there's a lot of folks that aren't blessed. Like I've been blessed. So if my parents run into a struggle, I have a little bit of money saved up. I can help them. But think about me 15 years ago, if my parents were struggling, I wouldn't have been able to step in and do anything. So I'm thankful that there's a safety net. It's not a very popular libertarian thing to think about, but it's a very real human thing that, that has to be thought of. Could it be operated much more efficiently? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, uh, the reality is we can't get rid of the police. The police are here to stay. The police can come into my office right now and take me out and put me in a cage again. If they properly, if they really wanted to, um, and they might, when they see that TikTok video of, uh, that, that woman contacting you. Oh yeah, and, uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I violated the court order uh, by contact or speaking with her. Uh, but, you know, what can we do to proactively work with them? What can we do to mm -hmm. offer them better training, give them more information, let them know what it is we're actually up against and show them that the people that they're seeing over and over and over and over again aren't actually bad people. They're just sick people who can be treated and when treated can go on to do incredible things like I've been able to do. And that's how we start to make changes, small community by small community. We can show success rates over well north of 70%, like Second Chance PA has been able to show. I really think if we can implement that in other counties in Pennsylvania, that we would see the same results. We'd see communities restored. We'd see the police looked on as friends instead of our mortal enemies. I mean, there's so much ripple effect that can occur positively from treating humans like humans instead of tossing them in cages. It's a novel idea, treating humans like humans. I like it. Weird. Weird thought, 
could be a political slogan. <laughs> I'm going to treat humans yeah. like humans. It um, might not even be popular right now because even if you look on, on, <laughs> on my TikTok about, uh, I forget which, which video it was on there, yeah. but I was talking about Second Chance probably, just a brief intro to Second Chance. And the comments underneath the thing are like, are you closing the southern border? Like, no, you know, like I have nothing against Maryland. I love Maryland. People. You know, like why would we not let them come to Pennsylvania? If we we could talk about the eastern border, though. I mean, closing up New Jersey, maybe we could do that. But we could talk about that. But I also love people in New Jersey, so yeah. Well, uh, you know, but it's just uh, you I, I kind of like a kid with New Jersey. New Jersey. I, I I love the people in New Jersey. I just don't want to go there, really. But. Fair enough. Fair enough. I won't. I won't comment on that. Uh, <laughs> but really, you know, politically, things are are pretty bonkers right now, as as far as that all goes. And I don't care if you're a libertarian, a Green Party, a Purple Party, a Constitution Party, a Democrat, a Republican. If you got a good heart and a good mind, and you want to serve the community, I'll work with you. We have a completely nonpartisan group of individuals working on Second Chance to make sure that members of our community are served and treated with dignity and respect. And I don't think it has to be a political issue because I'll stand with a, a hardcore super liberal Democrat in the same room as our, you know, very Republican county commissioners. Mm -hmm. And every single one of those folks have the same thing in mind is how do we serve our community? How do we help people get better what can we do to make the world a better place? So I think the infighting, the battling, it's completely pointless if we all could just work together and come up with solutions. This world would be a fantastic place, wouldn't it? So speaking of politics, <clears throat> is there a political future for Chris Dreisbach? And I, I say that, well, I mean, you do have the, the felony on your record, but mm -hmm. I know at least... In Pennsylvania, that, that's a Pennsylvania law where felons can't hold, I think, a local office, which is being challenged by a previous guest on my show, Mayor Kate. I'm not sure where that stands as of today. But you, you can run for Congress, I believe, in Pennsylvania or even Senate in Pennsylvania, right, uh, with a felony on your record. So is that something that you think um, you would do at, at some point? Could be years in the future. But what do you think about that? You know, John, uh 10 years ago, if you'd asked me if I'd be running a company with 100 plus employees and if I would have, you know, eight or nine other companies going, I would have told you absolutely not. That's nuts. No way I'm ever going to do that or get there. So I don't really make real conjecture about the future. Uh, I think if the if the time, time makes sense and the issues make enough sense and I could impact those issues moving forward, maybe I would. Um, but I'll tell you what, Washington sure ain't ready for a long haired nut job like me. Sure ain't. I, I don't I don't know if you could uh I, I would pay a lot of money to see you on a debate stage with John Fetterman. That would I mean I, I'd just I mean, take that would, money. That please. would be that would be a blast because we'd be like, huh? What? I mean we you know, just collectively we'd need like a third person to make sure we'd stay on the rails. So we'd have to invite Lou Barletta or somebody that you know just <laughs> Lou Barletta. I forgot about Lou Please Barletta. Please notice I'm not. I'm joking. Uh, Lou Barletta, I've met him. He's a nice man. I just... I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. <laughs> um, I did want to bring up one more thing, which I think is important. Um, you know, we talk about on finding freedom. We talk about business. We talk about spirituality. We talk about health. And I think it's important to highlight with you doing all of this other stuff in your life, helping other people, growing businesses. You've also, you know, worked on your own health and you, I mean, you've lost significant weight. So can you talk a little bit about that? Cause that's, I mean, I think, I think that's just as important as anything else. You're not wrong. And a couple of years ago, I would have argued with you. I did argue with you. I said, you know, I can keep eating McDonald's and keep, you know, drinking a hundred Red Bulls a day and I'll be fine, you know, cause I'm an invincible 33 year old or whatever the heck I was when we met. And, uh, you know, Last year, two years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I hit 371 pounds. Uh, you know, I'm six foot five, so it's not nearly as bad as it sounds, but I was very unhealthy. I was definitely obese and sluggish and not feeling very well. And I had some real chest pains one night. Hmm. And I, I kind of thought maybe that was going to be the end. Uh, wow. I went to seek a physician's advice and he was like, dude, 
you're 370 pounds. You know, maybe we should look into decreasing that a little bit. And I thought, yeah, but like I've tried a, a million times and a million diets and I've always been big. You know, so like I was confident that I, I wouldn't have the ability to lose weight anyway. So he said, like, how about you just start making some little changes? And, you know, with the help of, of my girlfriend and a bunch of other people around me, you know, I was able to start eating a little bit healthier. I stopped eating 10,000 calories of McDonald's at two o'clock in the morning since the only time I have available to eat. You know, I just made very small incremental changes in my life. And what started happening was my weight would decrease, my weight would decrease, and my weight would decrease. And I didn't really believe that any of it was long-lasting because I'd lost 20 mm -hmm. pounds here, 20 pounds there. I fluctuated between 210 at my heroin weight and 370, and I never thought it would be a thing. But, you know, today, um, 295 pounds. And That's I amazing. I haven't had chest pain in a long time. And I'll tell you what, I'm slightly more energetic, even though it may not look like it. Uh, I feel a whole lot better physically. My knees still hurt. My back still hurts from the wrestling days. But, man, I got to tell you, just making those incremental changes and putting in the work, because I didn't believe that it would work. Zero percent of me believed that I could thin out at all. And I put in the work and I got the result. So I'm fairly confident that anybody can do that if I can do that, because I'm definitely not that special. I think it's it's so interesting. I this is this is common with you know common with me in different parts of my life. Like you, you you're super successful in business. You're building companies, and you're like, oh, this is no problem. I can do this. But losing weight, what? I can't I can't make these changes. I, I can't change the way I eat. It's so funny how we put up like you know these these walls and what we can and can't do. And when you start to knock them down, you're like, what what even what was that? How that where'd that come from? But <laughs> but it's so hard in the moment. Yeah. When you're in the moment, it looks so insurmountable and it looks like something you can't do. And you can kind of mm -hmm. apply that to any, any major problem that you occur in your life. Uh, you know, starting a business, it looks huge and daunting and terrifying. But when you start to break it down chunk by chunk, piece by piece, and you do little by little, you see something grow and you see it build. Just like when you start eating a little bit better or maybe exercising, which I don't do all that much you start to see the weight drop a little bit and you're like, ah, oh, maybe this is sort of real. But even if you don't feed that, you just keep going and you get those mm -hmm. results and you see them and you feel them. But the key is to just start, even if you don't start well or start right, just start and wait for the results. I mean, start yeah. and put the work in, but yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I would never have talked about three years ago, but I can say right now that you were correct three to five years ago when we were talking. I'll eat my words. Uh, I could not continue to live like that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to see that you've, <clears throat> I mean, you've made a drastic change and you're seeing drastic results. So I'm really happy for you, man. And, uh, you know, I think we haven't talked about everything, but we're about out of time and uh, I need to eat dinner and uh, see, see my wife and, uh, and daughter who I haven't seen all day. But before we do that, I want you to plug... I don't know if you want to plug everything because it's a lot, but I can plug everything on our show notes page. But just give you know give some some links and and ways for people to find you know more more stuff about you. Oh man, I I feel like this hour has flown by so fast. Like yeah. getting to getting to do this with a, a friend is so easy because I feel like we could talk for ten more hours and not even cover sure. half of what we should. Uh, but really, if you want to follow me on on Facebook, uh, I'm. Christopher Dreisbach on Facebook. Some reason on Instagram because I started it with my real estate career. I'm just Chris Dreisbach. Uh, and then back to, you know, all the other ones. I'm Christopher Dreisbach on everything else. So give me a follow on the TikTok, on the, not the tweeter because I'm not on that one, but all the other ones, Instagram, Facebook. And you can kind of keep abreast of the madness that is my life from there and you can kind of find those links to all these different businesses that we're operating that are giving other people opportunities to become entrepreneurs and you know like comment share stuff it really helps the folks that we're building uh, just like jesus who got to see an entire community show out for him this saturday uh, you know just be a part of that share these ideas that criminal justice reform uh, you know talk to your elected officials and let them know that you're dissatisfied with the way we're treating humans uh, and that there is a better way. And you know, there's so many different ways you can follow me, but those are the easiest ways 
And I would love to hear from any of you. If you have ideas, you just want to tell me I'm funny looking. doesn't matter. I love hearing from everybody. And, uh, you know, I love making new friends. And I really just appreciate the opportunity to come talk with you, John. Yeah, this has been great. And this hour has flown by. <clears throat> and it's, I mean, it's honestly a pleasure on my end to be able to highlight someone like yourself who's, you know, doing just, just great things um, in this world. And honestly, I cannot wait to see, you know, when we talk again, probably, we'll probably talk again before five years from now. But when, when we talk again in five years or 10 years and do another interview, I'm excited to see, uh, see where you are and, uh, and what's going on in your life. So, Chris, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, John. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Dreisbach. I'm sure it did not disappoint. Um, please go ahead and share this podcast around. You can share it. If you're listening on the Lions of Liberty Network feed, um, you should know there's also a Finding Freedom feed exclusive, which um, you can subscribe to, listen on that. But it's a good thing, I think, to share with new people um, to reach out with. If you don't want to share the whole Lions of Liberty feed with someone and you just want to share one of my interviews, sharing it from Finding Freedom is something that a lot of people do. You can find that feed, Finding Freedom, uh, by just searching Finding Freedom. And uh, if it doesn't come up with that, you can put my name in there, John Odermatt, and it'll surely come up on any podcasting app. And I would appreciate a uh, if you subscribe to it as well and leave me a five-star rating and uh, a nice little review. And if you leave a nice review, I might even read it on this very show. So there is that. And that's all I have. That's all I have for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you've uh, subscribed already or you're thinking about it. If you're thinking about it, just do it. Um, but I will see you all next week. Everyone have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.